What's the best way to capture creative ideas such as lyrics and melodies for songs? Also, if you play guitar, what's the benefit of trying different tunings? Did you even know that different tunings existed? Well, let's find out in today's episode. Welcome to Half Hour Mentor. My name is Ian Cleverdon, and welcome to the audio podcast designed to help anyone who wishes to further themselves with their personal hobbies and professional development, with a focus in this series on the creative arts. In this episode, I'm delighted to welcome a critically acclaimed rising star, singer, songwriter and guitarist Katie Spencer. Katie grew up in East Yorkshire in England, and when you listen to the space and movement in her self-composed songs and stunning guitar playing, you can hear that the open countryside and surroundings in which she grew up have massively influenced her style. Katie's making a big name for herself on the UK and European progressive folk and acoustic circuit and has toured tirelessly, including appearances at Glasgow's Celtic Connections and Cambridge Folk Festivals to name but two. At the time of recording in 2023, she has two albums out, 2019's Weatherbeaten and the latest from 2022, The Edge of the Land, both having received five-star reviews in the music press. Despite all this prolific work, she's still only in her mid-twenties. I first came across Katie back in 2017 in my role as sound engineer when she was playing a support slot. Having only been playing live for a year or so at that time, I still spotted her immense talent for guitar playing and songwriting in that early live performance. In February 2020, a month prior to us all locking down, I once again did live sound for her, but this time she was the headline act. The audience comments about Katie's performance were fantastic, and when lining up my guests for this podcast series, she was one of the first names I thought of. So let's jump into the interview. Katie, welcome to Half Hour Mentor. Uh, I want to start off by um, just asking you, I ask all my guests, what was the first job you wanted to do? So that's going back to your teenage years. Going back to my teenage years, um, it's a strange thing actually because um, I remember when I got to that crucial point where I had to decide whether I was going to uni or not and uh, if I did do that, what would I do? Um, and I just certainly knew that I didn't want to go to uni and then of course that threw up the question of, well, what job would you like to do? At the time I'd just sort of picked up a guitar and, and for some reason I wasn't panicked um, about this kind of lack of direction and normally that sort of feeling would be uh, something that would make me feel a little bit panicked but at the time um, I felt quite relaxed. It, it sounds a little bit of a cliche but I just knew that I'd like to give this a go and see what happens with kind of being a musician. But going back earlier than that when I was a really really young kid I was thinking about this actually and it, it re reminded me that I did actually want to be a, a children's entertainer when I was a kid right. <laughs> and uh, I know it's certainly not the same thing, but it's got that element of um, sharing something and um, hopefully bringing a little bit of positivity into people's lives. And, and so, yeah, that, that's really interesting that your question kind of sparked that memory for me, really. In a way, you're, you're doing that now, perhaps more for an adult audience, but there's always time, you know, clown shoes and all that sort of <laughs> thing on stage. <laughs> the thought about university then, so you didn't go down the university route, you thought, OK, I'm just going to try and pursue the music route. What were the first steps in that? Well, thankfully, um, I'm very lucky to say that I had really supportive parents. Um, so I made that decision and they supported me with that as they, as uh, normally uh, a parent would with um, a child going to university. So that was um, really wonderful to have that opportunity. And uh, I'm very, very grateful for their continued support. So I suppose um, that was something that made that decision a lot easier for me. It was just a... 
a very natural process, really. I was playing guitar. I hadn't really performed so much at that time, but I really enjoyed it. And it was something that was taking up a lot of my kind of working hours. I was thinking about it all the time and it just felt like the most I guess the most fulfilling thing to do I think um, I'd always worked really hard at at school and college and I did kind of enjoy that to an extent um, thinking about the actual education and learning I really enjoyed that but I think I was ready to do something for myself really and that meant not going to uni and not taking that route and continuing what I'd been working hard at for you know the last five years or so. What made you pick the guitar up in the first place? Well, going back to my folks again, I had been brought up um, in a very um, musical household in the sense that their appreciation of music was huge. Neither of them were musicians, but they had this great appreciation for music, which I think is so valuable. Uh, It should really be celebrated and spoken about a lot more. Um, You know, it's not just musicians who make music that you know, or should be spoken about. It's people who really get behind music and support it and, and give it a platform. Um, so my folks are, are those kind of people. And um, my dad, although he isn't a musician, he did have a guitar, but it was kind of like an ornament, you know, in the living room <laughs> <laughs> that would get dusted every so often. <laughs> and so I, I kind of grew up with that there. And I would just kind of walk past it as a kid and kind of pluck the E string. And then I remember one, one day I, I kind of thought, oh, wow, that, that sounds like Day Tripper by the Beatles. Um, <laughs> And uh, I just sort of picked it up and kind of figured out the riff to Day Tripper. And that was sort of how it started. It was just really, uh, I guess I was just intrigued by it at that point. And I would just learn all of the classic riffs. Um, then I could kind of, you know, discovering my own music tastes at that point as well. And um, quickly realised that shortly after, uh, like picking up the guitar, that I, I wanted to make fingerstyle music and got really immersed in that so it's just a, a dis- process of kind of discovery I guess. Yeah I mean, we'll talk about perhaps your songwriting approach in a minute because it is to me very distinctive but what was the transition to actually thinking I'm going to write a song because there's one thing playing the guitar and playing the riffs as you say and a lot of people will play along with rec- you know say records or you know streaming you know other lots of streaming sites available what was the first step in actually writing a song that you took? I guess it's a little bit of an uh, unconventional way of looking at it, but I initially started started songwriting to better my guitar playing, to understand the guitar a little bit more, rather than writing a song for writing a song's sake, uh, almost. And again, I just really uh, found that I enjoyed that process and I began to then choose to write songs for the sake of writing songs and expressing myself in that way. So that was how I sort of started to write songs. It was because I wanted to understand song structures a little bit more and uh, use that to learn more chords and learn dynamics uh, with guitar playing and things like that. And then once I sort of started to make the sounds on the guitar that I really wanted to make and kind of getting excited by the music that I was able to make, it then meant that my songwriting process was more enjoyable as well and I was beginning to uh, create songs that I wanted to hear um, rather than it just being a tool for kind of extending my, my knowledge on the guitar, I suppose. Who are your big inspirations to uh, help you in that songwriting process? Who are you listening to? Uh, I think at the time I'd just discovered the folk revival of the late 60s, early 70s. So people, well, I think certainly um, guitar style, that was um, very much inspired by Jackson C. Frank and Bert Jansch and folks like that who have this great um, 
it sounds quite intricate, but sometimes they are being quite economical with the playing as well. So that really uh, inspired me. Uh, Songwriting-wise, in a very similar scene, I suppose, or in a very similar genre, um, Joni Mitchell is huge, continues to be a huge inspiration. And I'm like a broken record, but John Martin is one of my main influences musically because uh, his ability to create an atmosphere that is really immersive is really inspiring for me. And even with songwriting, you know, I I love thinking about the sounds of words and how they can almost paint a picture regardless of the narrative that they're putting across. Um, so I, I really love uh, those those kind of people who have acoustic guitar playing at the heart of what they do, but then lyrically they're also very expressive. If there's anybody listening that hasn't heard your, your music, there'll be links in the show notes uh, to this. Um, and I strongly recommend that people go in, you know, at the very least the Spotify's and Apple Music's of this world. Um, but for me, I think John Martin very much comes across in your vocal influence. Far be it for me to say, but I think actually you've taken it on to another level uh, from, from John's point of view. Hopefully you're not down in the bottles of whiskey every day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and yeah, not quite. <laughs> yeah. So thinking about making a career in music then, you know, you've learned the guitar, you've started songwriting. The big leap is actually how am I going to make money out of this? So live performance is a huge part. What was the, the first steps that you took into live performance and how, was the, how did that go? I remember my first live performance was at a folk club in uh, somewhere in a, in a village um, in East Hull, quite near where I used to live. And... Uh, turned up at this folk club and it was as folk clubs go it was kind of a I guess quite um an intimidating one in the sense that it was in this big hall and in folk clubs if there are any folks who are not familiar with a folk club there are things called floor spots where musicians get up and it's like an open mic more or less where they kind of share songs and I I was doing a floor spot this particular night uh, for the first time and it was in a big hall with a big stage so maybe maybe about three and a half foot high or something like that. And it felt quite intense. It's the first time I'd done it. And before then, I couldn't really bear to um, play in front of family members and things like that. It was really surreal. Um, and I did it and really, really loved it. And it was nerve wracking. But then as soon as I kind of got off stage, I, I really realised that actually that was that was a lot of fun. And I'd like <laughs> to do more of that. So that was the very, very beginning. But then... Um, I gradually just started to get booked for gigs in my local area and that was really wonderful because I was very lucky that there were a lot of great musicians on that scene who who gave me advice and who I could watch and um, uh, learn from and, and I kind of did that quite extensively for a, uh, probably a couple of years just gigging as much as I could and not necessarily thinking about it financially, just trying to become better at doing it. And then when I got to a comfortable position where I felt as though I could do the job in a way that I felt confident, then I started to look uh, further afield for for concerts and think probably more financially about making it, you know, giving it some longevity, I suppose, and, and making it um, viable in the long run. So do you have an agent now or, or do you look after all of that yourself? At the moment, I look after it all myself. Um, that's not to say that um, I wouldn't like to work with somebody. I think that would be a great next step for me. I do enjoy the process of booking gigs myself. It's one of the few kind of tangible things in music that that you can grasp hold of. I guess, you know, you send an email and you have a conversation and then you've got the booking and that's that's something that is is fairly tangible. Um, the rest of it is is quite, you know, I guess, ethereal and um, based on... Um, 
oh, it's very subjective. So I, I think for that reason, I enjoy um, the process of booking gigs, but at the same time, I'm aware that I'm at a point now where I would really benefit from working with someone. Um, so that's something that I'm sort of looking at at the moment. That's really interesting because uh, I think a lot of musicians will say that's the the worst part of the job is actually trying to do all the admin and get the the, the, <laughs> the, the you know the organisation behind. It sounds like you're quite an organised person uh, to be able to cope with that. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's look at the mentoring side then, because you, you just mentioned a short while ago that you've you know you've taken advice from people that you've played with on the circuit and you know and and shared stages with. How has that worked for you? So you know how how do you absorb uh, experience if you like and learn from other people well I suppose it goes back initially to growing up in this atmosphere of um, appreciating music and and um, very lucky to have been taken to a lot of live music uh, from a young age and I think um, just being amongst that and having the opportunity to be up close with um, live music is a really special thing and so I think just being amongst that really informed what I would then kind of go on to do I think it's a very fortunate position that that I was in really because sometimes I go and do workshops with young children and sometimes it's or not necessarily young children you know uh, teenagers and sometimes it's the first time they've experienced live music and I think it's so important that that it's out there to be to be grasped and to be enjoyed by people from all backgrounds and and all the rest of it but anyway I'm getting sidetracked but I think regards to kind of inspiration and, and mentoring and all of that I was fortunate to have good friends who I could who I felt like I could ask questions and uh, they were very generous with their knowledge in lots of different ways musically and in terms of kind of making a career out of it so that was great I mean one person in particular who I still see fairly regularly is a man called Stuart Baxter who is a He's a drummer in the band Life, but he's also um, just a wonderful force in in Hull, which is the place where I'm from. And although we don't, we've never really labelled it mentorship. I suppose that's what he provides for me, which is really wonderful. And uh, he's just a really great sounding board, but also very inspirational and knows where to take me. You know, conversationally, he knows what I would benefit from, and and that's um, a really wonderful thing to have as well. Because I know you've done, um, you've supported some really big acts like uh, Ralph McTell, um, Richard Hawley as well. How much have they been of help to you? Yeah, Ralph McTell in particularly. Uh, he, I mean, I know he's a, a really wonderful support for lots of young musicians. And I met him quite a few years ago now. Um, and I've had the pleasure of uh, supporting him at a few gigs over the years. And just having, I suppose, initially just having that belief in someone who is such a wonderful artist like Ralph McTell, you know, that's, it really reinforces that perhaps this is the right thing that I should be doing. You know, it's, uh, I'm really grateful for the support that my friends and family give me, but it's, it's special in a different way when somebody who has achieved so much in that field kind of gives you that recognition. That's great. And yeah, he's, He's been very inspiring. You know, it's great to see how he's still putting out records and touring after all these years and he's still loving it. And that's, I think that in itself is a big kind of inspiration. Yeah, that, uh, that, that, that's, that's really good to hear. I mean, and it must, it's a fantastic lift, isn't it? Because 
in whatever career anybody does, there's always going to be highs and lows and there's always self-doubt that comes in uh, and thinking, really, am I on the right career path? Am I actually, is this the right, have I made the right decision? And uh, to have that from, you know, not just peers, but from somebody who has really hit the big time uh, in the past, it, it must be great to have. I want to go back, if I may, just to talk about um, self-managing and obviously perhaps it's getting to the stage now that you will need somebody to do that. But you've obviously had a lot of experience in managing yourself. What are the, the advantages and what are the challenges behind that? So perhaps firstly, what's the benefit, would you say, of managing yourself? Uh, for me, the benefit of managing myself is knowing exactly what's going on and uh, setting my own targets and, and achieving them and having that good feeling that comes with that process. Um, yeah, but the main thing for me is is knowing exactly where I am uh, with everything and having a clear plan of, of what's happening and when it's going to happen and how I can get there. So for me, it's kind of having that kind of self-driven sort of process that brings me a lot of joy. You said about the disadvantages, I guess, of, of uh, being self-managed. I'm aware that there's a limit to what I can do, both um, with time, but also with experience. Um, so somebody with you know previous experience of, of managing an artist like me would obviously be of huge benefit. I guess it's about timing too and, and creating the right bond with the right person and making sure that when I, when I do choose to work with someone that I can still have some kind of autonomy over my decisions and make sure that I can still have that kind of back and forth and that communication and, and I can still essentially make the decisions alongside them with their guidance, I think. Yeah. And I think that perhaps when the you know the manager comes along, then probably the advantages and disadvantages may reverse <laughs> in terms of you know, you, you've got a bit more time, but actually you know it's slightly out of your control, and that's always something that's hard to learn initially uh, to, and to do. Absolutely, with. But, yeah. I'm I'm very aware that you know I'm sure that's a really liberating feeling to to hand that over and, and feel like it's in safe hands and and you can focus more on other things. That's really exciting as well, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I look forward to perhaps having that chance in the future. Yes, yeah. absolutely. That would be great to see. So let's have a look at um, your approach to songwriting then, because I'm conscious that quite a few of our listeners will be, you know, up and coming musicians and are always wanting to know how, how does somebody sit down and do it? So what's your approach, Katie? Do you, you, know, do you say, right, I'm going to write something today or do you just take inspiration as it comes? How do you go about it? I suppose it's um, sort of changed over the few years that I've been doing it, I would have these kind of moments where a line would come into my head and I would write it down just in my notes on my phone or something like that. I would have a, a melody that I would kind of sing into my phone. That still happens, um, although it used to happen um, a lot more regularly. And I think that just comes from, you know, having a, a busier life now and, and having that alongside other things that kind of flash into your mind that you need to do or something like that, perhaps. But initially that was... Um, how it used to come about uh, often when I was kind of traveling and moving along I would have have those moments where I'd want to just capture it a lot of the time now I I often sort of sit down and, and give myself the time and space to write a song I think uh, that's really important for me to um, put myself in that zone and say okay this is a time where we sit down and write songs and at least get something down on the page and whether it, it is a good song or not doesn't kind of matter it's just the process of 
putting my brain in that creative space. And when I do that, you know, I do kind of open up my phone and look at the notes and the videos and little lines that I've written down um, over the last few weeks and try to kind of consolidate that or get back in that zone where I was when I made that note and go from there, really. But a lot of a lot of what I've been trying to work towards in the last sort of probably year and a half, two years, is just making sure that I'm I'm consistently and constantly putting myself in the right headspace so I can be doing something that I think is perhaps an important task at the time but then if I get the urge to write a song just acknowledging that and going with that rather than thinking oh you know now isn't appropriate and I'll do it another time because that you know that doesn't feel like a a healthy thing for me to do as a songwriter so I I try and go with it when I feel feel it happening Um, but equally so I do give myself uh, I guess disciplined times where I sit down and really really try to to do that as well and so statistically then well two questions I suppose statistically how many of those ideas that you caught on your phone on the voice record or whatever actually go forward to a song or a tune um I, I think actually quite often a lot of them do make it but not in its not in their original form um sometimes I write down in a notebook and um I'll often just write a, a list of words as well with the kind of feeling that I'm trying to evoke alongside maybe a line in a song and it's really interesting to sort of look back on those and see where that line ended up and whether it matched with the the feeling that I was trying to evoke when it initially came about but quite often I will combine a bunch of ideas that I've had um, especially if those ideas have come about at a similar time um, my mind was probably in a similar place and, and they do kind of naturally fit together other ones are obviously just you know rubbish uh, <laughs> and they get put in a drawer <laughs> but um, but yeah I think I think a fair few do or at least they're a great kind of triggering point for me to go off somewhere else and, and you know uh, write something different and that second question then about of all the songs that you write, how many of them statistic, you know, percentage-wise would you say actually get into the live performance and being put forward to recording? Uh, I would probably say about 90% of the songs that I write I go on to share in some form uh, because I don't, in order for me to kind of finish a song, I don't, I, I've got to feel as though it's going somewhere. I don't enjoy the process of... Uh, getting a verse down and thinking that's not really cooking uh, but I'll persevere I just kind of put it away at that point and and maybe I'll come back to it another time but if it's not cooking at the time then I I don't try and push myself to make it work Um, it doesn't um, put me in the right headspace really so if I complete a song generally I'll put it somewhere be that my Patreon or play it live um, hundreds of times <laughs> yeah just to see if it actually playing live is a really good way of getting the the audience reaction as well isn't it and sensing whether actually that feels really good and uh, just even t- doing little tweaks to it absolutely i um i wrote quite a lot of the songs on my latest album in the pandemic and i didn't really have the platform well you know nobody could could go out and perform the songs live and i did have a real moment of wow are these songs any good at all because I don't have that sounding board uh, but thankfully I, I had other ways of trying to get them out to people which was kind of Patreon and live streaming and things like that which helped me but um, yeah absolutely you're so right it's um, it's a process that I find I have to go through in order to gauge the, the kind of worth of a song I guess but yeah it was a very interesting process kind of recording my album and, and no one really having heard the songs before. 
Mm. I got your album last year and, you know, genuinely it's in my top five favourite albums of, of, of that year. Wow. Uh, it's just it's it, it, yeah um, it, it's just an atmosphere you know I, I really do it's not a plug but I really do encourage people to go and have a listen and go and buy it is the main thing because professional musicians folks need the support of uh, purchase streaming <laughs> doesn't do it as we could do a whole separate podcast about that, that one. <laughs> but one thing about the album because I've got the vinyl version and I open the gatefold sleeve up and I've got all these fantastic tunings a great thing you do is you actually say you know sorry for non-guitarists in here but you say what tuning you use on the guitar and you also say whether you put the capo you know what fret you put the capo on which is is brilliant to help to play along with um people will know that if you have if you buy a guitar there's a standard way of tuning it you've got one song on that album that's in standard tuning and the rest are all over the show yeah so it's it's great so, <laughs> so i mean as a guitarist myself i use a lot of tunings but there's some that i've never even experimented with what drives you to try different tunings for different songs and how, how do you take that approach i often start when i'm writing a song i often start with um a riff or a melody on the guitar and it sort of stems from there and so to inspire myself i put myself in a different zone i try different tunings so a few of the songs on on the album are in kind of open d minor which was my first time experimenting with that tuning i'd not i'd not written a song or played in that tuning before until i i wrote songs like um take your time and silence on the hillside and sweet and gentle and i really enjoyed where it took me with my songwriting it took me in a different place than it you know than if i'd have played in open g for example so i was in kind of open d minor and then i just experiment a little bit further by taking the third string down to an E. So it's D A D E A D. And um the song, the the title track for the album, The Edge of the Land, was a commission initially, uh, from a, a festival in Hull called the Freedom Festival. And um I was asked to write a song about the city of Hull and its kind of maritime connections and its its links to the water. And as soon as I kinda of put my guitar in this tuning, D A D E A D, I um found myself writing these these kind of lines on the guitar that were quite fluid just the tuning just took me there and then I found myself thinking this is the perfect sound for the song that I've been commissioned to write about the water and going back to what we said briefly earlier about John Martin and and using his voice as an instrument the tuning brought out those sounds for me Uh, I was playing the riff and I was just singing nonsense and then I was able to form the words and into something sonically that that suited the the guitar part and then tried to make you know hopefully make the narrative fit i really love experimenting with tunings because they just they just put me in a different headspace i think really that's why uh yeah i thought so just uh for those uh, guitarists and thinking d d a d e a d is starting from the lower string to the top string um from that and yeah. the d minor one is d a d f a d uh, from that so yeah. i for one will be try- going to try those tunings at the end of this podcast recording uh that's that's for sure <laughs> yay yeah. So um, what's all the future plans then, Katie? What have you got planned uh, this year and beyond? This year, I am dedicating a lot of time to writing. Uh, I, I would like to uh, write and record an album this year. Um, so I'm kind of uh, on the way to, to, to get in there with that, which is exciting. And just spending the first half of the year really just kind of experimenting with new things musically and trying to expand as a musician and... Uh, doing the odd gig here and there and a few festivals in summer. And then into the autumn, I am touring a little bit more uh, intensively than the first half of the year. So I'm 
going down to the southwest and down to uh, the southeast and up to Scotland and um, focusing on the UK for a little while and then going to Europe for the first time properly um, in November, which will be a real treat. So that's that's this year. And then uh, going on into next year, um, I'll be hopefully releasing um, the album that I'll be working on this year. Fantastic. I've got one final question uh, that I ask all of my guests, and that is, and it seems a bit bizarre as you you know as a young singer songwriter, but knowing what you know now, what one piece of advice would you give your younger self? That perhaps you know, I'm not going to do university, I'm going to do music. What advice would you give yourself at that stage? Cool. Yeah. It's, uh, this reminds me of a funny quote that I remember Roy Harper saying once, and he said, uh, "This is a song that I wrote when I was." Uh, 17 and I was reminiscing. <laughs> that was quite a good quote. <laughs> Great. Um, I think I've really focused, especially since the lockdown, on... It, it, I, I know, I'm aware that it's a bit of a cliche, but I think it's so important and I don't think you should shy away from it because it's a cliche, but this idea of having an honest voice and taking that literally, you know, singing with your honest voice, I think is really important taking that thought in kind of a wider sense and making the music that you want to make and not um, not thinking, oh, I should write a song about this or I should write a song in this style because that's what people want. I don't think that's, I don't think that's got any kind of longevity in it. So I think just being honest and taking that right through to everything, you know, if it doesn't feel right to play a particular gig, then don't do it and you don't have to have a reason um, other than it doesn't feel right or something like that, you know, just using your honest voice in as many ways as you can, really. It's quite, a, I guess it's quite a vulnerable thing to just suddenly choose to do something like write a song and share it with people. But if it's an honest thing, then it, I think, well, for me, it feels easier. That feels like an inspiration for a song to me, uh, using your honest voice. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. The, the, yeah. There you go. Yeah, it's all right. You can credit me in the song if you come, if you come Thanks, up with that. Thanks. I will. I'm going to get on with that. <laughs> uh, that's brilliant. So just um, just very finally, Katie, where can people find out about you? I guess the best place to go would be my website, um, and from there you can find all the social medias and gigs and things like that. Um, so my website is katiespencer.net, and it's Katie with an IE. And that that's all linked in the show notes as well. Katie, thanks ever so much for joining Half Our Mentor and uh, sharing all your fantastic advice and guidance with us. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a treat. What really struck me in that interview with Katie was her quiet self-assurance about her development, also her direction and strategy. It's not often that you hear musicians talk about goal setting and targets, but it's equally important to take this approach in the creative arts if you want to be successful and continuously improve. Another example of her calm confidence was in her answers to the five quickfire bonus questions I fired at her, as I've done with most of my guests in this series. As she has clear, succinct answers for them, I've added them into this main episode. Let's hear what she came up with. Question one. In your opinion, what makes a great song? If it feels authentic and uh, if the person who is kind of putting it across is really um, engaged with the song... And uh, for me, uh, a great song is all about atmosphere as well. You know, that can be captured in a recording. But I think if we're talking about songwriting, I guess if the person is kind of living and breathing that song, it can be about anything. But if they can kind of uh, put themselves across in a way that makes you want to empathise with them, and, you know, that's a really special thing for me, I think. Music first or lyrics first? 
Music. Yes, music. What's your favourite way of triggering the writing of a new song? With a guitar, with, with some music, I think. Um, I love creating an atmosphere and I can just kind of... I can find myself playing the same riff for, you know, four hours or something. I took myself away to a... Uh, a little cottage a few weeks ago and I spent a whole day playing the same riff and, and saying it now, it sounds crazy, but just creating the atmosphere so that you can take the song where you want it, I think um, that's what kind of puts me in the right place for writing. How do you capture your song ideas? Generally, I uh, I just take the time, I allow myself to um, realise that inspiration has come from some somewhere and... Uh, and I just write it in my phone or I sing it into my phone uh, to kind of revisit another time if it's not quite appropriate. And uh, and then I'll I'll sit down with them later and uh, kind of tease them out and, and create a song, hopefully, with, with some ideas that I've just captured on the fly. Last question. What do you think is the best song ever written and why? <laughs> wow. Gosh. I mean, I think anything that Joni Mitchell has written is is absolutely up there. There's a song actually that I guess I've got to go with the one that is kind of in my head at the moment because I guess it can change from minute to minute, but there's a song that she wrote in the 90s. It came out on an album in 91 called Night Ride Home. And uh, that's a classic example of creating such a strong atmosphere that you can almost um, grasp where she where she's coming from. You know, even if you didn't speak English, you could you could grasp where she's coming from with it because the atmosphere that she creates is is such an incredible one. Um, So I guess I would have to say that, even though I'll probably disagree with myself in 30 seconds. I was hoping to add some clips of her work into the podcast itself, including the Joni Mitchell song. I did this in the Charlie Dore episode, but it ended up being blocked on YouTube for using third-party music. Therefore, I've created a Spotify playlist of some of my favourite tracks by Katie, and have included a live version of Night Ride Home by Joni Mitchell, in which she also briefly discusses guitar tunings, funnily enough. The link for that Spotify playlist is in the show notes. My thanks go to Katie for sharing her journey to date with us. You can find out where she's playing, purchase copies of her music, and also check out her Patreon page via her website, katiespencer.net. Remember, that's Katie with an IE. A link to her website and the Spotify playlist I mentioned are in the show notes. Do check her out on tour if you can. You will not be disappointed. If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe to the series wherever you get your pods and review the back catalogue of my amazingly inspirational guests. You can leave feedback about the episode through social media by searching for Half Hour Mentor or via the email link in the show notes. Thanks for joining us and until next time, bye for now. (music) 